you know, you're limiting yourself uh, to, to just particularly one department or one individual. If you breed a culture of understanding sustainability impacts and having a better understanding of systems thinking and system, uh, taking a systems thinking approach, then everyone in your organization, whether they're engineering a product or looking at the financials or dealing with people within the organization have a sustainability mindset or purpose-led mindset. And that's when you get those companies that have utilized purpose effectively and are financially gaining from it. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, when it comes to sort of KPIs, I think, you know, most organizations are looking towards the process and the product, maybe the, the financial KPIs as well. And that bit in the sort of the top right hand corner of the model, the whole people element of it, I bet they don't have many people KPIs. I mean, obviously, you know, pay lip service to the um, sort of annual reviews of people and stuff, but actually the measuring of as you say, the alignment of the people against purpose, against KPIs and goals. I just think that's it's a very rare thing. I just I mean, I don't see it at all. Yeah, I mean, so like that, could said, be, that could be an interesting angle. We've seen it before, like you said, where, um, you know, certain sustainability KPIs are set from a financial standpoint of, of, of um, you know, the, um, the are set from the banks to the, to the business, um, you know, for a certain amount of lending and um, banks are continuously kind of pushing this, this agenda where sustainability issues, sustainability KPIs are becoming factors in um, whether a project gets funding or whether they get uh, money borrowed. And so those sustainability KPIs that are in the annual sustainability report are there to read if you assess the company. But when you speak to the people on the ground, they don't actually know what those priorities are and how it affects their job or their particular department that they're working in. Um, mm. And so testing, not just testing, but educating people and, and, and brooding that culture and mindset within an organization then leads to success on those KPIs. And where those disconnects are, you, you fall short, which um, mm. can, you, know, you can miss an opportunity, but at the same time, you can be exposed to um, risk from other areas. Mm. And I think for me, the, the interesting one that I definitely you know, want to be exploring um, with them is this whole idea of if I'm a very small business, so it might just be literally I am a, a consultant or a sole trader or whatever, an advisor, consultant, um, versus being a larger business with multi, you know, multiple sites, multiple teams, departments, um, you know, multiple business units even it still applies because you are part of a chain of people and work entities, if we call it that, that need to be aligned. So I think that's where the whole stakeholder piece comes in. I think everybody within this audience, but sort of more generally, I think if they're thinking about, does this really apply to me? Because either I'm too small, I'm too disconnected, or it's not really my role there is a part you can play because of just the human connection that you have in a commercial world. And so yeah. really everybody around you, you should be influencing to learn about this stuff, to engage on this stuff and be sharing, you know, if you're in an organization, sharing that common purpose, but even if you're working with suppliers, you know, resellers, whatever you want to call them, that applies then too. So I think that's a key thing we need to be pushing is this whole thing about stakeholder engagement at that kind of level, but treating everybody you engage with as a stakeholder because they've all got to get your purpose and then buy into that. Otherwise you are disconnected. Yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly from the Mindful Collective's point of view, like we've, we've spoken about, um, 
we've taken a slightly broader approach to, to all business sectors. But if you are a specific uh, consultant within a niche business sector, you could look at the stakeholders you engage with, which include your competitors. So the idea of pre-competitive uh, pre collaborations being this idea of meeting with um, competitors or suppliers or also uh, customers along the value chain and assessing sustainability impacts within your specific sector and what can be done to address those. Um, uh, you know, even and sharing ideas even before you you uh, enter the mindset that you're potentially competing with um, mm. one of those people or, or another consultant or anything else um, is a step towards actually achieving those results. But yeah, it's definitely requires a um, a wider point of view when tackling normal kind of transactional business. Mm. Yeah, because I, I know you you weren't particularly keen on my whole there is no competition challenge to business and saying we're all just part of this, what was I called it? Post-COVID collaborative ecosystem. ecosystem. Yeah. It's, it, there is a choice in that. And I think, you know, for me, I think one of the big things I'm going to be pushing is this thing about, you know, if you're good, you're going to rise to the surface anyway. If you're good, you're still going to be heard. If you don't play in this collaborative ecosystem, as I'm, you know, cliched calling it, it's like you're not even playing. And I think going forward, that is going to be the case. I, th I certainly think like, I, th I think maybe it's a terminology or wording thing that I don't necessarily agree with. But it's um, I think it's the idea that, you know, there still will be competition and, and the idea between pre-competitive collaborations um, is that there is still competition, but there's a discussion and a, um, a certain cohort or collaboration of individuals or entities that um, agree that there are particular issues that need tackling that will be done to a certain uh, standard or in a certain way. Um, you know, if, if you look at every, uh, let's take car manufacturers example, you know, how far along would we be if all car manufacturers kind of pulled their resources and research together to get to a set standard of battery level for cars? in EVs before um, they even started addressing what, what the thing looks like, how efficient it is, um, how you market, the price you sell it at, you know, those are all competitive factors that will, um, that will, you know, yield profitability and, and determine company success. But there is a baseline factor that we need to cut carbon. We need to um, increase the efficiency of electronic vehicles. We need infrastructure change. Um, you know, even down to say maybe car manufacturers lobbying governments to uh, increase infrastructure transitions to suit EVs. Um, those are the type of um, industry-wide pre-competitive collaborations that need to take place, take place in, for uh, sustainability to thrive. So um, I think it's not so much that there won't be competition, but I think that as those kind of um, commercial ecosystems kind of evolve and people try to take on thought leadership positions they'll be in a position to thrive when legislative reform comes in place and um, those that are insular will kind of be left behind mm. I, th that to me i think that's going to be a really key thing that i think the audience and other audiences i think are going to want to hear this whole thought leadership angle because then that plays beautifully into the whole thing how can you trade on this stuff because it's not going to be then just about the products and services it's how do you trade internally how what do you talk about what's the 
you know, the conversation around the virtual coffee machine or the virtual photocopier as was, you know, it's, it's just like, what, what are you guys in your business talking about? And if it is about, okay, what is our higher purpose? How are we making sort of, you know, inroads into certain areas? That thought leadership thing, I think, is a real key theme here. So I, I certainly want to sort of try and tease that out. Um, well, not just in this workshop, but in any of the other workshops we do, because I think unless people see that there's a real tangible benefit from a, well, customer communication, competitive sales, you know, dare I use that word, sales advantage of actually talking about this stuff, I think people are still going to be quite resistant because there's still business as usual in lots of people's minds. But I think if you can be starting to trade on purpose, trade on, you know, the progress you're making in your sustainable efforts and projects and stuff then you've got something that's kind of potentially thought leadership if you come up with something really innovative and good but at least it gives you something then that you can use in your marketing and communications and i think that's so so important because you don't want to be keeping this stuff in the little ivory tower in the business you've got to be talking about this this is all about openness and collaboration and sharing and communicating i mean there's no good if you just keep this to yourself or the investors you've got to be sharing this more broadly because it's part of your brand going forward yeah i mean you know we've seen examples like that like patagonia like um like unilever there's you know you can have a good they have a good product they have a great product it works amazingly but um a lot of the times the buying decision um that customers make is that they'll lean towards that one because they know the company culture they know the style of the brand they know that they're what their values are and what they're doing is good um you know the whole reason i bought a patagonia coat is because i'd done enough research to know what the company itself was doing and that that culture of you know you get the sense that the employees talk about it they live by it they thrive by it um and that's the actual ingrained purpose of the organization um it helps people buy into that and it doesn't necessarily mean it's is you know that's just for commercial goods or um or you know um B two C um they are you know dependent obviously dependent on other factors in the in the in the in the buying decision making cycle um like price and everything else but if you've got competitors that are evenly matched or on a level playing field in that regard a lot of people would choose the company that has the good brand the good culture the good um, trades on its values, on its purpose over a company that wouldn't. Um, purely because a lot of people, um, when you when you kind of enter that kind of ecosystem, you get a little feel good feeling when you, you know you're doing or providing, um, you know, a, a purchase towards a company that you feel is doing uh, something good. Mm. Yeah, I've got a perfect example. Um, literally having just moved house we've just had our first um, energy bill through and honestly to say it's um i don't know i don't know what the word is i mean absolutely huge i've never had a, an energy bill through like this for one month's energy consumption incredible i mean it's just so so big and it's with an organization who, who will remain nameless because i don't think that's really fair to share this on a publicly uh, accessible um, platform um but doing really great stuff in green energy you know real kind of investment building networks of you know wind and solar you know doing some really really groundbreaking stuff so really kind of support them as a brand Interestingly, though, their pricing structure, and this kind of leads me then into the whole kind of mindful business model, because if you just aim 
on the one angle for one element of the mindful business model, product, people, process, or profit. If you just focus on one thing, you miss potentially the really kind of holistic value of looking at all four elements of that mix. Because to me, the branding is great. The product is, is amazing. The processes they've got, the customer engagement is great, but the pricing is just awful mm. in terms of the way it's positioned versus the rest of the market. And just thinking of that just as a simple example just makes me, makes me think time and time again of if you don't consider the broader kind of view and you just think sustainability, just think carbon footprint, just think about all the good you're doing, just think ethical. Yes, you've got great people, but actually you don't think holistically about the wider business model, including pricing, including the processes you've got with cost and efficiencies, i.e. the KPIs that you've been talking about. You're not going to be sustainable in itself because people are going to walk away from you because they can't afford to engage with you. And that's exactly what I found. So I've literally switched supplier on that basis because everything ticked the boxes apart from the price. I simply can't afford to keep engaging with it. So to me, that was a lovely live example, literally last night decided to, to switch on just on that basis. So I think yeah. companies have got to be really quite careful that they don't, over trade on one element of this this is an holistic view of their business so beautifully seamlessly segmenting then into the or segueing rather into the uh, the mindful business model because that obviously puts up a whole bunch of opportunities but also challenges and i think for me the biggest challenge is that you've got to find stuff that yeah, links to your purpose right at the core of everything, but you can't lose sight of the fact you've got to balance product, people, process, and profit. Because get one of those elements wrong, you're not going to fly. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the basic fundamentals of, of, of business. Um, certainly, I think with regards to energy supply, it's a bit of a catch-22 because a lot of kind of, uh, a lot of, what you call green energy companies, I guess, are trying to scale up operations and, um, you know, create new um, infrastructure when it comes to um, renewable sources of energy. And some of that cost is being passed on to the customer, but potentially at their own detriment. So that's where, um, you know, potentially thinking a little bit outside the box or, or thinking a little bit more holistically um, might be able to kind of balance that i think that it's difficult for them though because especially in the uk when you've got probably a lack of um support from the government to kind of expand um this stuff you know, really quickly at scale um and and you know uh, across the world still subsidizing uh coal and fossil fuel um electricity generation is um is difficult for those companies to come up with a competitive offering. Um, but eventually, mm. you know, um, something's going to have to give either from a policy standpoint or a technological standpoint where uh, it, it simply supersedes it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, a lot of forms of renewal are, um, are actually more efficient than, for example, coal. Um, and, and so I think the world's starting to wake up to to that level of investment, the uh, the only problem at the moment is scale. Um, but from from a, a mindful business model perspective and a purpose um, perspective, 
you have to ask yourselves uh, what, what is the limit of passing that cost onto the customer and, and how much would they buy into your philosophy, into what you're doing um, in order to pay for that, for that rollout. Um, and that's where you see, you know, like you said, selling on those other elements of, of what you're trying to do. Are you trying to scale up your renewable energy um, uh, capabilities? Um, are there other projects on fold that will benefit um, either the UK nationally or maybe even local communities? And you use that as targeted marketing um, to kind of get people to resonate and buy in with that sort of thing. So other than the actual product itself, what am I buying into in the future um, is obviously like a purpose-led approach, a purpose-led um, product that may be offered. Um, but it's difficult when it comes to stuff like energy or anything that's kind of like a, a you know a fixed bill. Um, mm. and so viewing the the product or the business itself from the, the mindful business uh, model perspective um, allows, I guess, a company like that to think, okay, other than the product of providing electricity, what else are we doing to roll out and scale up production that customers will be comfortable um, paying that extra price for? But this is perhaps a case where that balance is just a little bit off and mm. uh, they skewed it too much the other way. Yeah, and I think it, as well, it just reminded me, and actually the way you were describing that, that it just kind of reminded me, and this is, again, something I really want to um, hopefully get get conversation going in this workshop, is the, the whole idea about trying to get them to a point where they're kind of trying to reinvent the business model and not just purely doing the transactional approach like they've been doing. So actually do it in such a way that they think about maybe subscription models or they think about kind of getting co-investors in their infrastructure, whatever it is. And there's a thousand ways you can, you can do this. But I think interestingly, that as an example, they have literally just gone down the, oh, well, we'll just bundle it, the cost into the pricing and we'll make the customer pay. Old transactional model. Whereas I think as you've described it, if you're a bit more creative and innovative in the way that you engage, maybe there's a standalone thing that, you know, a customer can kind of buy into and support or sponsor or, you know, invest in or, you know, crowdfund, be part of a crowdfunding thing. You know, there's so many different ways that, you know, these business models need to emerge. And I think, you know, just saying, hey, we've got great CSR or we're doing our ESG commitments or we've got great KPIs, and but we're still following the old model. Yeah, we're purpose-driven, but we're still following an old model feels very outdated now. I think, you know, we need to be really encouraging businesses to kind of really, really force themselves to innovate in terms of the way that they engage in all four areas, product, people, process, profit. I think it can come out of any of those four, but they've got to do it differently. I think if you still try and sort of squeeze in the old models into this new paradigm, it just doesn't fit. There's always gaps. Yeah, there's, um, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great examples of how it's mainly coming from kind of like a, a physical manufacturing point of view. When you look at sustainability, there's some really great examples of companies that have innovated. They've looked at um, things like circular business supply chains. They've looked at the waste outputs that a particular manufacturing process is, is, is producing. And they've thought, okay, how do I utilize that potential waste or that particular element of a supply chain or a process? 
and how do I turn that into something that benefits the organization? Um, so a really big case study uh, from um, Cambridge University, their Institute of Sustainable Leadership was a sugar refining company in the UK that took all the excess heat from their manufacturing process and pumped it into greenhouses to, to grow tomatoes. Um, and now they diversified their offering. They now sell they're like the fifth largest producer of tomatoes in the UK. Um, and that's all well and good from a uh, from a, a manufacturing or a physical goods process. But a lot of the UK is a service-based industry. Um, you know, a lot of tech, a lot of financial, a lot of everything else. Could that same systems thinking mindset be applied to the service industry to think, what are we leaving behind? What are we missing out? Where are the opportunities to kind of potentially diversify an opportunity and with a lot of the um, policy and framework agenda changing over the next four to five years a lot of kind of you know america getting back back on board with the paris climate accords we should see a ramp up of an, an acceleration towards net zero and i think the question is um, a lot of the times very practical as in i.e how do i utilize a manufacturing process or how do i commit to net zero if i'm manufacturing a particular goods or service but if you're service-based, how can you think differently? How can you adapt and potentially spot new offerings or opportunities as that landscape begins to shift? Mm, and, and then doing that with all stakeholders that you need to be engaged with. I mean, I'm just looking around the, the shape of this workshop and just sort of seeing the flow of it as we've been talking. And I think it does come full circle back into, okay, but I can't do this in isolation. So who are my stakeholders? Who do I need to get involved in both sides of the value chain, you know, on either side upstream or downstream and kind of what do they need from me? What kind of evidence do I need to be gathering? What kind of data, what kind of, you know, sort of proof to get that support and, and kind of also what kind of timescales are appropriate. So almost like doing sort of deep dives in the how to do this stuff, because further upstream, you might have decided, yeah, OK, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do better engagement with all the stakeholders. We're going to get everybody on board. We're going to have a deeper purpose um, that we're all going to focus on. But then it's the practicality of, OK, but how do I do it? And I think for me, that's where, again, coming full circle back to the, uh, the mindful business model is it is very stakeholder driven. It has stakeholders at the heart of all of it. So you can put stakeholders into product because you might not be developing your own product. You might be, you know, collaborating or you might be sort of buying you know, somebody else's product. It's again with the people, their stakeholders. But what about the broader community um, that you're engaging with or that you're um, affecting with what it is you do? Um, certainly process. I mean, that is very stakeholder driven, as we know, because you don't work in isolation. There's people up and downstream. Um, and then the profit, you know, who are the investors? Are you an investor in somebody else? So what is that relationship? So I think, again, just taking this kind of fully round the circle and sort of, you know, for anybody listening to this is kind of, and also for those who are going to be going through the workshop today, I think it's, it's just really important for them to know where can I turn to next? Because a lot of this you can self-serve. I mean, the mindful business model kind of allows you to think for yourself, really. And if you've got those um, skills or you've got that resource to be able to do that and you, you've already made a start, it probably is a good self-service model. I think it just helps to facilitate, you know, more of the same. But if you're starting at this from what we might term ground zero, I think it's important to 
to know that something like the Mindful Collective exists and the Mindful Consultants exist to be able to, you know, hold your hand through this thinking. I think that's got to be a really important thing. So it might be that you need to take those first steps. Great. So we're here for you. You might be taking the first steps yourself and you might just want to have a sounding board. Great. So we're here for you. But you might be able to do this yourself. And that's great in itself because, you know, potentially then we can sort of talk to you again in the future and you can provide a case study. So I think it's, it's almost like there's something in this for everybody, wherever they are in their own journey. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people's kind of natural um, assumption when they first look at this is to take a complete top down approach where you start a purpose and then, you know, you work your way around the around the model but it, it's 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 kind of not as uniform as that you can take it from any a different approach and um you know you're not going to change organizational culture or adopt a new purpose overnight um especially one that's actually ingrained in the organization um a lot of companies um a lot of sustainable companies when you look at their kind of timeline progression um and uh, you know i've seen this from from studies and research uh, not just in western companies but uh, but in eastern ones too um is that the, the, they didn't have necessarily start off with a sustainability mindset, a culture, or a purpose um, in that field. Um, they made small incremental changes, maybe to a, a process or to the product um, that you know, yielded a, a good return or um, uh, were a cost-saving initiative. Uh, and then they began to realize the, the success of that. And it was a small, it could be a small change at, per, at first. It could be in, you know, in, in the process area, it could be in the product area, it could be with people. Um, but they made small incremental changes within, uh, you know, their own kind of uh, department or their own sphere of influence um, that kind of proved the business case for sustainability. And that began to kind of grow within the organization and foster within the organization uh, until it becomes, uh, you know, fully fledged purpose and, and, a, and a way of, of, of thinking um, so it's not necessarily you're looking at a complete um, you know CSR overhaul of your organization and purpose and you mandate to every person within the organization that this is our now our new purpose and where we're heading and these are the values you need to adopt um, because you're almost force feeding or ramming it down people's throats um, you know as we've spoken about before co-creating purpose with your employees getting them to think um, a, a different way with a systems thinking mindset, um, getting them to see what small incremental changes they can make within their sphere of influence or within their quadrant of whatever P they, re they reside um, is what can uh, allow that small in incremental change that fosters a culture of innovation, of sustainability, of a core purpose. Um, and, you know, the idea around, um, that, that company I spoke about that, that looked at that, that process and, and took the, that waste heat and pumped it into, um, pumped it into greenhouses to grow tomatoes, that, that kind of bred a culture within the organization of, um, of kind of looking, okay, what are we wasting and how can we utilize that waste to make us money um, and, and be more efficient and, and be more sustainable at the same time. And that's, what I think people can sometimes miss when it comes to sustainability is that a lot of times sustainability is just efficiency. Um, and it doesn't matter what department you're in or what, what sphere of influence you're in. You have engagement with other stakeholders. You can talk and, and you can um, have a di open a dialogue with, 
with people, um, dependent on where you are, the, the, the organization, if you've got ideas, you can, you can work on them. Um, and, and they may seem small and they may seem in, um, insignificant, um, but they can build to create a lot of change. And I think I think we're going to see all of this stuff, you know, hopefully come into the uh, discussions in this workshop. I think one of the things I'd be very keen to do, because obviously um, anybody listening to this, uh, this particular recording, which is us really kind of um, warming up our ideas about the things that we want to share with this group um, that we're going to be taking through this workshop this afternoon. Um, I think one of the key things that I would want to see as an outcome of it, obviously we're going to be recording that session, but because of the nature of the group, we can't actually um, share that session but what we can do is and what we will be doing is picking out a lot of the highlights so there's almost like there's a there's a part two of this uh, this particular podcast because um, this is us kind of teeing up some of the areas that you know we're going to be talking about um, so with the group this afternoon it's a it's a very interesting quite an eclectic uh, mix of um, individuals from the financial services industry um, and of course uh, being investors or being kind of risk managers or risk assessors a lot of these people are really at the forefront of decision making in this area so I think it's going to be really interesting now with our piece which you know we've been talking about through this as a bit of a warm-up for us to then play that back against actually what those guys tell us because I think um yeah, there'll be some commercial reality coming through, which obviously we can feed into a into a follow up. But I think just wanted to sort of finish this one off just by saying, uh, obviously, if you've been listening to this, then uh, if you want any more detail, and this is your first uh, encounter with Mindful Collective, if you go to mindfulcollective.net, um, you will find a lot more detail. Uh, you'll be able to look at the uh, the new mindful business model, uh, which talks about those four P's: product, people, place, profit. Um, that we were talking about and um, yeah hopefully um, we'll be able to engage with if you've got any questions obviously use the message thread below this particular uh, podcast uh, to add any sort of questions in for us or you can direct message us uh, in the bio links uh, which you will find around this particular recording so thank you for listening and uh, this is neil and joe signing off and going off to uh, to do the actual uh, workshop and we'll feedback some results hopefully um, with you and share some case studies and examples very soon